welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and for the first time, we'll be revisiting an old topic. In this episode, we're going to be talking about side quests. Join us as we take a break from saving the world to help an old shopkeeper kill rats in his basement or something. To help me discuss side quests in games is a man who always makes time to stop and smell the roses. It's my good friend, Jared Bruner. Jared. How you doing, man? It's true. It's true. I do. I, I always, when I see herbs out in the world, I, I stop and pick them. Uh, it's actually become a problem. And many people have asked me to stop. I actually, I, I saw you on Twitter recently, and you had said that for one of your birthdays, someone had given you some flowers, and it was one of the best gifts you ever received. Yeah, I always said it was one of the nicest things someone has done for me. I didn't ask for flowers. It was just a nice gesture that they, that they did, and uh, I appreciate that. I like when my house has greenery in it so i was like yeah i I would would like flowers more often yeah it's it's funny like when i was younger i think the idea of of getting flowers is something that would not have appealed to me but as i've gotten older as as i'm now into my 30s the idea of flowers seems so dope like give me flowers like let me decorate my house i am down with that well and then since i got a place that has a patio i've been doing some gardening and i've tried growing some vegetables unsuccessfully but um nice lots of other plants what vegetables have you been massacring in your in your Dude, backyard peppers apparently i just don't know how to grow peppers or my patio is hostile to peppers because i just like one of the <laughs> easiest things to grow and i don't know i don't think i get enough sunlight um I, anyways i tried to go i tried to go pe- peppers too and dude it it is very hard for really? some reason I thought, I thought you did it successfully because you were my no, inspiration well, i think you my had problem, that jalapeno plant for a while no my problem was that i grew a bunch of peppers i think too close together so they all cross-pollinated and then they 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 created a super pepper that was so bland and and flavorless delicious that it was not useful for anything and uh, then i had to scrap the whole i scrapped the whole thing yeah i have but, <laughs> i have a plan i'm gonna throw it away but this has been a good gardening minute with Steve this, this has been thank you for joining us on uh steven jared's gardening tips uh no let, let, let's 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 get into it let's let's get into talking about video games because today joining us we have two of our favorite people they're former writers at ubisoft and now they're working on all different kinds of exciting projects. Please welcome back to the show, Kim Belair and Ari McGillivray. Kim and Ari, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us again. How are you? Pretty good. And thank you for having us. Yes, this is Kim, so by much. the way. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Kim, Kim and I are <laughs> sitting next to each other and are often confused for each other. So, sorry. And I, and I heard that there is a cat in the room as well. And I'm sure we'll be hearing from the cat soon. Uh, What's the cat's her name? Her name is Kitten. And she breathes nice. very heavily. Yeah. Oh no. Oh, well, we have we have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> have either of you had any experience with the uh, gardening or, or trying to grow peppers for our our pepper podcast we're doing now? We've we've just changed. It's now a pepper podcast. Um, for the pepper cast, I don't think I have much experience specifically in peppers, but I have killed a lot of plants accidentally in my day. Like, I think I idealize the idea of having plants. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, like you look at Instagram or you look at these like nice houses or these gardens and you're like, I'm an adult now. That could be me in the summer. Like, wouldn't it be cool to have these like great plants and like just a whole house filled with greenery? But then I just, one, I forget to water them. Or I yeah, forget they, they like, to like... they like the water. They do. Yeah, they like water. They don't like too much sun sometimes. Yeah. And then and you they don't to, like, like too much water either. Well, that's the other thing is that I get succulents sometimes and then I overwater them if I'm doing the other things, but I think I also get plants that, like, look bad. Like, <laughs> I think if I don't care for them, like, or, like, I give them good good care for, like, a couple months, and then bad care for a couple months, and then good care, I feel like they grow bad. <laughs> like, 
They just, <laughs> just they start looking weird. Man, I'm very into Kim's like vault tech vault experiment that is just growing ugly plants. <laughs> yeah, I think it's what happens. Well, I mean, how about my my experiment of crossbreeding peppers into one super bland pepper? I love the idea of crossbreeding to make a very bad like species of a very good thing. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know, there's what what is it? The old Twilight Zone where it's like they took all the all the DNA from all the most dangerous animals, but it's like if what came out the other end was like a like a moose or something, you know, like we took, <laughs> Sorry. we took the shark DNA and the you snake DNA. You guys are laughing, but moose are very deadly up here. Oh my God. Do, they, uh, do you know, do you know offhand, like in, in Canada, is it known offhand how many people are killed by moose each year? Like, is that a it's stat a, you could just rattle off? Not to rattle off, but it is a thing. We're like, we know there's certain animals that you avoid. Obviously it's not a problem for us in Montreal, but Canadians generally know how to deal with a bear attack, a moose attack, or a cougar attack. But the big problem with moose, though, is that they're so tall, and they're actually the, kind of the perfect height to, if you're driving, you'll knock out their legs, they'll fall into your windshield, kill you, and then get up and walk, get up away. And walk away from the, from the crash. That's pretty metal. Wow. Yeah, so that's the, pro- that's the real <laughs> problem with moose, is that if you hit one, it's pretty much just going to kill you. They, Yikes. They're bigger than you can possibly imagine. Yeah. I've seen, yeah, I've, I've I've not seen a moose in person, but I have seen pictures of them next to cars, and it, it, I, my brain has problem processing that size. They seem so docile. I picked the wrong animal for my analogy. You did. We, I, it's okay. I all this to say, you picked the wrong animal. But, like try again. I know. But I would say moose for like three minutes. Beaver would have been a good call. Like it's like if you, it's like you know, in that episode of Twilight Zone, if they took all the DNA from the most dangerous animals. No. I won't. <laughs> are you trying to redo the joke? I love no, the idea I'm, I'm, of I'm redoing the bit. <laughs> well, yeah, and then we, well, and then we would cut out, and then we would cut out that whole middle period where <laughs> I felt like an idiot for bringing up moose. That's how this podcast. No, goes. but it it did let us talk about like the deadliness of moose, which is pretty good. Meese? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this Mooses? has been a PSA. Meese? Yeah, please welcome. Don't uh, approach a moose. Seminary watch, to the stage as they discuss uh, the dangers of moose. I know. I guess that's something we don't deal with here in the United States all too often. Kim, Ari, how are you? How have you been since the last time we spoke? I know, Kim, the last time we had you on, you had just recently left Ubisoft and you weren't really prepared to talk about what was uh, coming up for you. So what, what's what's new on your end? Well, with Ari and another friend of ours, I started a company. Congratulations. Um, it's called Sweet Baby Inc. Oh, nice. And um, we do narrative development, essentially, which is kind of tackling all forms of narrative both for games or for everything else if you need narrative solutions whether that's like oh we need writing we need narrative design we need narrative direction we need new structures we need interactive narrative we need consultation for content stuff like that and uh it's called sweet baby inc we're the sweet babies very cool congratulations thank you so what are your individual roles like ari what do you do for sweet baby inc honestly administration and figure out taxes yeah a lot of that (laughs) It's got to, I mean, it's got to get done. Yeah. That's, um, Jared and I, for a while, we're trying to get a, a small business off the ground and it's hard. I, I know like there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. So yeah, my least favorite part the... was running the business. Yeah. yeah I, I don't want to do like, any I just of wanted this. To, I just wanted to pick up a camera and film stuff. I didn't want to have to do taxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the hardest part. Well, it kind of, when I left, I knew that I was going to go freelance and fortunately I was doing well enough that money wise, I would have to have become either, you know, incorporated as Mm -hmm. a business 
or I would have to figure out some other like independent contractor work and then that's kind of a whole other mess of stuff. So it ended up being, I think, more reasonable to say, okay, let's put our powers together, tackle a lot of contracts, figure out different roles and take on the world. Sorry, I just remembered the dumbest thing and I don't know if I should bring it up or not. Well, now you absolutely at this at this point. Yes. (laughs) Sorry, this is so, so dumb. And if you need to cut it out, I don't blame you. But I'm just sitting here enjoying this coffee. And I remembered that the last time that I recorded with you guys, I had to pee so bad. Uh-oh. But I, there, there was no natural break in the conversation. <laughs> so I just quietly took my headphones off and ran to the bathroom. Yes. And then came then we... back, put them back on, and pretended like I had been here the whole time. Nice. I, I had no idea. Jared, <laughs> Apparently we we talk too much. <laughs> I just assume people tune out eventually. Most of the time when we start talking, because we're we're, we're we're the ones that don't have any real world experience to talk to. I know and stuff. So. And I actually I actually tune out most of the time when I'm talking. Right. <laughs> oh my god, it was so funny, and I was terrified that I'd come back to you two going like, Ari. Hello? <laughs> nope. Oblivious. I had no idea that happened. That's a fun little behind the behind the scenes thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's just a nice little thing that I thought I'd share right. with you. No, that's pretty go amazing. Back. All right, go, everyone needs to go back and listen to our lore episode see and uh, see if they can <laughs> see if they can the identify moment. the moment when Aerie is just took not a break. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! With the company, have you have either of you been working on any games that you're able to to talk about, or is or is it all still? Hush, hush. Um, so doing NeoCab was actually a sweet baby project. Um, so it's kind of a soft launch right now what we're doing where we're getting we are getting contracts. We are doing work as sweet baby, but we haven't had like the big like, oh, hey, everyone, new company, all of the stuff like we have a website at sweetbabyinc.com or sweetba.be like sweet baby, um, which is a Belarus extension. Sorry, it's sweetba.by. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so it's very it's very fun. So, yeah, it's it's Belarus is, is that extension. Yeah, I think when I last spoke to you, I had probably just started working on last year the nightmare, which came out recently in December. Um, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. actually, it's funny. It's funny. Right when I right when I turned on Discord, I saw the ad for the game. I was like, oh sweet, I'm about to talk to Kim about this. Yes, uh, so I did all the writing for that. Nice. Worked on NeoCab, or still working on NeoCab actually. Ari and I worked together on. The Unknown Nine project for Reflector Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And now, are you both are you both working for Reflector now? So no, Kim was on a contract, and so her contract is up, and she's moved on to uh, other things that we can't talk about. I can talk about who they're with. Oh yeah, yeah. I can I can say that um I have another project that I'm working on with Ubisoft. Oh, nice. Let's talk about some of these games. So NeoCab is one that's through Sweet Baby Inc., and this is the cyberpunk. What would you call it? Like the like narrative driven. Oh, it's like neon noir, and it's a narrative neon noir. Neon noir, like neon noir. and it's yeah, it's a narrative driven game about a essentially an Uber driver, a neo cab driver, mm-hmm. in the n- very near future in the city of Los Ojos. She moves there kind of to get a fresh start and to reconnect with her best friend. And on the first night that she gets there, her best friend acting a little bit cagey. And then goes missing. Ooh. And so the game follows Lena as she tries to find her friend, but also needs to balance out earning money, taking on rides, and dealing with the various odd or compelling characters who slide into the backseat. Now, now, what is writing for NeoCab like versus writing for something like Last Year the Nightmare, which doesn't seem to be quite so narratively driven? With something like Last Year, 
it's all barks. And I know that, so Ari worked on For Honor for, mm-hmm. for a very long time. And that I think is the closest thing that I think we've done, right? To, to just straight up. To straight up, like this is pure barks. These yeah. are yeah. all action oriented. Um, She's, every Ari's, the one, Ari's the one who taught me what a bark is in a video game. Oh. I'd, I'd seen the term around. I never knew what it meant until until Ari taught me. Oh, that's so good. Oh. Ari, so you learned something before I ran off I, to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's very difficult to teach me things, but I did learn that. And look, it's come in handy for <laughs> 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 this conversation. Yeah, I mean, last year is it's Bark Town, you know? Like, it's all, I think it was something along the lines of 600 lines. For last year? Per character. Oof. Holy cow. It's... It might be less, but it's it's a lot of lines. Like I was really struck by the amount of lines, and I thought it was really really interesting because so few games of that nature bother to have that yeah, much. Yeah, they in went them. really in depth, and it's the nature of games that you play over and over and over. That if you only have like twenty barks per character, you hear them again and again and again yeah. and again because a game like last year, you're running through the same scenario a number of times, and I think that that's actually. It's really good of them to have put that much variation in, but it's also extremely difficult for the writer to come up with twenty-five different ways to say, "Oh no!" Oh yeah, and that's yeah. <laughs> and that's the kind of the cool thing about it is that for them, they were able to put so much variation in the places that the lines come in. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there will be fifteen lines for this character is caught in a trap. Yeah. But then there'll be 15 lines for this character is caught in a trap and a friend is nearby. Yeah. Then there are going to be 15 lines for this character is caught in a trap and the monster is nearby. So it really, really feels responsive when you're playing it. And that's what I find very cool about it. Nice. Or if um, the killer like leaps out from behind somewhere, it's not just going to be a generic reaction, like a generic yell. It's going to be like, oh, no. Something has just surprised them, and the game is going to react to that. So I've been playing the Resident Evil 2 remake, and uh, it's very good, first of all. But um, that's one of the things that they that they have added for the you know, to make it a modern game is when a zombie pops out or whatever is walking towards you, or you're shooting at a zombie. Uh, your character I'm playing is Claire. Your character will say stuff like what the fuck and it's like i don't know it just makes me crack up like she says this stuff that's like exactly what i would think in that situation and you don't see that a whole lot in games but yeah the lines that she yells out like they literally are what you know i'm thinking and it cracks me up every time now kim and ari do you have favorite now do you have a favorite bark from that game i think about a game like last of us like is that no no not last of us left for dead there we go i'm getting my uh zombie survival games all confused in my head but the number of times I've heard pills here, it's still my favorite line in that game. Yeah, it's a classic. Do you, do you do you have favorite lines from last year? Oh man, I mean, it, it's tough off the top of my head, but I know that what was really cool was going to LA and working with all the voice actors because oh nice when you, you get to work you get to work one on one with them or you you were around when they were uh, yeah I was it? there for all the recordings nice and it was a really really great cast. But more is than that, that normal for writers? No, it is not. I would Neat. say no, but it depends on the size of the game that you're doing. I would say, like at a Ubisoft, if you're doing the, like 
a company of that size. Yeah. If you're doing the main campaign, they might bring you in just to make sure that, like, okay, you at least attend a couple sessions to make sure that what they're doing is... Well, also, on a game, like a AAA game the size of, say, a Far Cry or an Assassin's Creed, it would be the lead writer or the narrative director who would go because you sure. have a team of six to seven writers. But because Kim mm. was literally the, the only, only writer, yeah. <laughs> there was no one else to go. Yeah, but it's really cool to, like get all those lines out, having a sense of the character, and then meet the people who are going to play them because it kind of allowed me to rewrite a couple lines based on like, oh, now that I've met this person and I feel their energy yeah. or I hear the, the tone totally. of their voice and I kind of get like, oh, okay, you know what? Can we try it this way or can we be a little bit more experimental? That's very cool. Yeah, that's that's neat that you got the opportunity to actually interact with them. Oh, yeah. It was cool for me too because like, especially for um, Melissa Hutchison, who was the voice of Clementine in The Walking Dead, Oh, Ooh, right on. Cool. You know, she's such a pro. So she just came in and was just like, don't worry. I get it. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> super, she's like super sweet, super funny. And it was just like nailing lines left and right. It's, and, it's always a very cool feeling when, when you write something down and then see it come to life in that way. When someone yeah. gives that life, it's, it's, it's a creative process. It's kind of like unlike a lot of things. It's Yeah, it was really, really cool. Nashir Dalal is another really great voice he did the voice of chad who's like the the jock he's also charles in red dead 2 oh yeah yeah he's great and oh, really cool he's just yeah super cool Zeno robinson voice of troy um do you remember like any of the lines that the actors maybe made better and you had to go like oh that is a better line oh well Zeno robinson especially because yeah. the character of troy he is he's the nerd right no that's, that's nick oh, okay troy is like um He's the only black kid in this group and probably one of very few in the suburb that they live in. And so the thing with him that I kind of wanted to express was last year is very self-aware and I wanted him to be a character who kind of knew that like this is what horror movies are. He's kind of genre savvy and he's not sure he likes his odds given the tropes that exist there. So his approach to it is very much like one, we're going to get out of here. And two, I'm so weary of this <laughs> and so what Zeno really brought to it was just like instead of just going like oh everything's gonna be very scary to him he's like stressed out and done with this so when he gets in a trap the third time he's just like cool great it's one of these <laughs> and <laughs> and so kind of that high energy sometimes and then just like over it tone is something that I think really Zeno brought to the character I'm planning on on very soon building a, a a PC. I was just talking about this with Jared, and I've got a I've got a bunch of games on my list that I got to pick up, and this is definitely one of them. Because Jared and I, we had a lot of fun with the uh, the Left for Dead game, so I'm excited oh, to yeah. jump into this one and oh, and, yeah. and uh, listen to all the lines that you wrote, Kim. The hard part is is that you know it has voice chat, so <laughs> people never hear them. But I'm like, I know, <laughs> I know the lines are there. <laughs> no one, no one knows these are there. <laughs> No, I, I mean people don't know this. I don't actually like Jared at all. So I just we we oh, play games. In, we we play oh, games in silence. Yeah, I, I mute Jared every yeah. time. <laughs> it's for the Beautiful. best. <laughs> it is for the best. So I, I also want to talk about Unknown Nine because this one seems like a very interesting project. Now this is one of those uh, the projects from Reflector that I think Ari. Last time we had you on the show, you were talking about as being like a, a cross media piece, like having different elements. Now. Unless I'm mistaken, there's like a there's a podcast associated with it, and it, is there a, a film associated with it? There's a bunch of different projects that are going to be rolling out, kind of based in the universe of Unknown Nine. So what Kim 
ended up helping out with at Reflector was actually making the universe and plotting out the characters and figuring out how the universe works and like getting the world bible together because it like it's a very different project writing for like a transmedia company as opposed to a game like a game you know what you need and it's just mm -hmm. pure writing whereas for a transmedia project like what i'm working on at reflector is an arg and so there's a shit ton of writing but it all oh, has to make right. sense saw, in the world i saw that video where you were uh, of you talking about it a little bit uh, I look great in that video, though. Like, I retweeted it. Yeah. I, don't worry, I, retu I retweeted a, it. It's a great video. Yeah, my title was Story Architect. Yeah, which so, Kim that's, hated. That's a pretty rad title, actually. I didn't... I. It's funny, because I initially was like, oh, I hate this title. It's It, it doesn't feel meaningful. And then later on, I started to realize, like, oh, I guess what I'm doing is the architecture of all of these stories. It is. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sense. it's true. I am a You're story like, this architect. This is exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, and... Um, it's something I, you never like. You never know with contract and and with freelance work and all the stuff. I'd be happy to work with them again. Ari's still working um, on one of the projects, and it's it's a it's a very cool thing to be able to work on any any transmedia company because it gives you that experience, yeah. as Ari says, right? Like, yeah, you know, I get to decide. Okay, what are we going to do on the movie side? What are we going to do on the podcast side? What are we going to do on the ARG side? What are we going to do with games, etc.? And obviously, you know, these are teams and creatives that we're working with. It's really some really really cool people. But even just having like being able to have a small hand in the development of all of this has really kind of shown me how many different ways I can apply my skills in narrative design or yeah. writing to like. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, and it also you, really you get to play God in that world. You do. It exemplifies how important it is. That should have been my title. God. 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 Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It exemplifies how important it is to have a knowledge of narrative design and narrative structure, because you have to be so tight between all these projects. They all have to make sense within the universe, and they can't contradict each other. It's something that doesn't often get thought of, like when you're making a AAA game. Because a lot of times it's very siloed in development, like even in the writer core. And I mean, we'll get into this when we talk actually about side quests. But a lot of times they'll give chunks of side quests or bits of a world to one writer. So there'll be a, a difference depending on which quest you're doing because it's written by a different writer. What is the ARG thing that you're working on, Ari? Like, is it, um, it, are you working actually with like AR, like visual technology? Like the. No. Um, no. So, okay. So, so it's gonna be. Well, tell me. Tell me what it. Is. Don't let. Don't let me keep guessing. I'll, I'll make myself look like an idiot. If... <laughs> <laughs> like, let me just take. Let me just take stabs in the dark about yeah. what ARG could just mean. Just keep doing <laughs> it. So it's actually, <laughs> it's super difficult to explain because there's AR games, which is augmented reality, which is what you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. But then there's ARGs, which is alternate reality game, and an ARG is generally a non-branded online fiction. And so what we did was we created an ARG for the Unknown 9 brand that would help support the lore and the narrative structure of every other piece of media that would be coming out. So gotcha. we have a persistent ongoing story that's now in its second season. Um, okay, all right. That just exists in the world of the Unknown 9, but it's told through like fake websites that we make. Uh, there's a huge amount of puzzles, like... 
it's a very weird and cool thing and extremely difficult to explain. It is, yeah. Okay, so now that you're now that you're talking about it, I, I have actually been visited some of those the the fake websites and kind of been along for part of that ride. It's neat. It's it's an interesting way to tell a story. Man, I'm trying to think. There was a long time ago. I want to say like back when I was in high school. So this I was going to bring like this up that you didn't. What what was it called? Was I it called, don't like, remember. Illum- Illuminati or something like that. I, I don't remember, but like, wouldn't they like call your home phone and stuff? It's something like it? that. Yeah, like you'd actually give them your phone number and email address and stuff, and they would actually send you clues and hints and give you like weird phone calls and stuff. I remember my dad was very against me even looking into it any further. <laughs> oh no, he was very. He was like, "Do not, do not do this. Do not have these people calling our house." I was like, "I don't, I don't even know if it's a real thing. I never actually, <laughs> I never actually looked too much into it, but it sounded neat. It sounded like the kind of stuff I want from a game." I, I have never heard anyone talk about it, and I don't Wait, remember what it was called. So, was it a game or no? Was it called? Yeah, can you confirm it was actually, this, or is just actually, like some people? It was just the movie, the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I have no idea if it actually was or not. I just remember there were like, and keep in mind, I was probably like fifteen at the time, but it, it, there were just like rumors that there was this game that you could sign up for that would do all these things. Yeah, I remember you telling and me whether about or not it. I was actually, like, man, that sounds crazy. Whether or not it actually existed, it definitely sounded like the kind of gaming experience I was up for at 15 years old. Now that I'm 32 and have a have a child of my own, maybe I don't want people like, and, and calling, social media <laughs> exists already, you know. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, nah, don't need well, that. Do you remember the Batman one that they did for the Dark Knight? No, oh. there was a Batman ARG? Yeah, there was yeah. a big Batman ARG. Um, no, uh, and yeah, you could go to different locations, get clues from the Joker. Some they people did got, phone booths, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember if they did phone booths, but I know they did bowling alleys <laughs> where you could get like a Joker, like bowling ball and stuff in and like a like, bag. They would do calls from Commissioner Gordon that you could get. Okay. That's pretty um, rad. I, I know they did like a whole campaign with Harvey Dent. You could get like the pins and everything. Like, And they... Like one of the big events in it was they projected, I think, the bat symbol onto this building in Chicago. Like it was a whole game that I followed for a while there. Um, That's there was, cool. I mean, I Love Bees is probably the most famous video game example. Yeah. Uh, Nine Inch Nails did one for Year Zero. Yep. Yeah, I love. I'm a huge ARG fan. Uh, but apparently, I I did not know any of this stuff existed. I think the the only one I'm more familiar with is the Sombra launch for Overwatch, where they did mm-hmm. a lot of uh, yes. Like the uh, the fake documents and emails and stuff that people were breaking down all those clues, but but nothing. I don't think there was anything in that one that demanded you actually go somewhere, except for maybe there might have been some BlizzCon clues that they had that they had there. But do it like a retrospective or something of the Batman one. It's really worth looking at because I think it's it's a good example of something that it was big in scale. Yeah, but it didn't require like a ton of you know math <laughs> math skills or puzzle yeah. skills. But you can still participate, and it really, really, really felt real. Like I remember calling the Gotham City Police Department, and it was very cool. (laughs) That see, that gets weird to me. That's like crossing into weird territory, where it's like, here, call the fake police department. Well, that's the entire. That's why it's the alternate reality game. I guess, yeah. It presents to you that other side. Yeah, if it's, I mean, if it's not pushing those boundaries, it still feels. Now, as a parent, it feels weird. I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe it's because I brought up my dad being against the the, the Illuminati. Yeah, game, I'm really. I instantly jumped. I instantly jumped to the like. Oh my god! I hope my son doesn't <laughs> call the police department thinking he's calling Gotham City Police. I mean, but I think that that's okay. 
You have to. Energies aren't for babies. <laughs> yeah, one. <laughs> they aren't. <laughs> These aren't like, yeah, ARGs for kids where they go like, hey, call any cops. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that the way that they set up the game is so that you really have to like opt in. Back in the day, like, I think the first ARG I got into was uh, it was called Help Me Find John. And I think it was a promotion for Stella Artois. Really? Yeah, and this was... Wild. This would be about 15 years ago, I think. But yeah, it was Help Me Find John by Stella Artois, and it was like a big ARG that this woman came up and said, hey, um, my brother's gone missing, but he did have this like live feed of his apartment. And I remember getting deep into that and like finding all of these fake websites, signing up for things. Um, they would have papers that were like uh, websites that purported to be like the site of a local paper, so you could kind of read these articles. And I've always been really, really fascinated by that form of storytelling. It's worth looking into, I think. And that totally makes sense, because I think when we last had you on, you were talking about, you did a, I think it was a birthday party, if I'm remembering oh, yeah. correctly. Uh, that was with Ari, yeah. Like a, like a murder mystery. Yeah. Exactly, it's all, yeah. it's all coming together now. Yeah, I. We should. I, I all right, we're, we're just gonna scrap. We're gonna scrap side quests, and we're just gonna talk about ARGs for the next. Right. Hour I was gonna say, like, I think we've been recording for thirty minutes and <laughs> yep. have just talked about anything. Yeah, literally anything. Oh, Cats, the podcast pepper plants. Was a side quest. <gasps> Mo- this, moose. Oh, there were meese in here. Maybe at some this point. this podcast is the ARG. This oh, is. it is. Oh, I love it. All right, all right. Let's rein it in. Let's let's talk about side quests. Jared, why don't you? Again, tell us the origins of side quests in video games. You know, last time we talked about this, we mentioned The Legend of Zelda, uh, the, you know, 1986, it, and Pool of Radiance, maybe, is the two possible beginnings for side quests. Um, I, think, I think Legend of Zelda was the, the maybe, and Pool of Radiance was the, for sure, this is where m- the modern idea of side quests. Right, yeah, if we we're talking about like, you know, the most modern examples or what most resembles what we think of as side quests, those two games were a good starting point. Zelda, for example, it had the the five hidden health containers that you could find. In that episode, and I went back and listened to it, you struggled to classify Zelda or those hidden heart containers as true side quests because there was nothing in game that told you that they were there. There's no actual quest. It's just something you had to find. And I think in that episode, you described them as rudimentary side quests. A side quest you give yourself is how you is how you defined it. Sure. So has your has your definition of side quests changed since then at all? Um, would you would you in, still in this consider context, that a side quest? No, I don't think it's changed. I don't know if I would consider that the most modern example of it because there's stuff like that now still. I, I mean, it, like Destiny has stuff like that too, right? Well, I think there's a I think there's a lot of games that take advantage of this style of game design that are different than what we would. I don't know, collectively referred to as side quests. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to get Kim and Ari's thoughts. What do you, so in Legend of Zelda, there were five heart containers that there was no clues about in the game, but you could still track them down and, and you know improve Link's health stats by picking them up. Is that something that, that either of you consider side quests, or how does that fit into the side quest discussion? Like To me, that sounds more like um, when you have to complete collections. Like, getting all the feathers in Assassin's Creed 2. Like, it's less of a side quest and more of a challenge. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, although, it's tough, because I could see that the entire scope of it would be one side quest. Oh, like, so the side quest would be... Collect 100 feathers. Okay. I think that would count. 
If it and has it, a story gets, benefit, right, as, as well. It, it gets even muddier because I think in the original Legend of Zelda, there's not a lot of traditionally conveyed story, period. There's not a lot of dialogue that goes on in that game. It's sort of the the understood trope that you're just trying to save the princess and you're just along that trajectory. Yeah. I wouldn't call, like, collecting all the items a side quest unless it is unless given it to you. Unless it does further... Unless it is something that you are assigned to do, unless you are given that quest, because I think, I think that I, there needs I to be some kind that. of like, go out and find all five. So there has to be an yeah. impetus, otherwise it's not a quest. Yeah. Or the quest you give yourself. Yeah. Because okay. a quest okay. is a quest has a destination. Yeah. Okay. So with that, Jared, why don't you talk about this next game? Because I I think that this will this will flow nicely into this next little game that we brought up that I've got written here. Yeah, uh, Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior, as it was in the United States, came out for the Nintendo. It was designed by Yuji Horii, and it was published by Enix in Japan in 86. And it's considered by a lot of people to be the first JRPG. And the reason that the style of game was so often associated with Japan, basically, is because of this game. It probably was one of the most mainstream examples uh, that kind of got popular here in the West. But just like in Legend of Zelda, there were hidden items that were scattered around the world that were optional. And we're bringing this up because the town folk would give the player hints about the item's existence. And so you didn't have to kind of guess. I don't know. A lot of, a lot of Nintendo games, you had to almost play with the manual uh, oh, yeah. because it gave you kind of more context of what you were doing. But uh, I guess in this game, you had in-game clues to find it. Yeah, so Legend of Zelda, there was no indication of the existence of those heart containers unless you stumbled upon them. And some of them are very obscure, like you walk to a, an empty part of a map and you put a bomb down and it blows open a door, and there was no indication that that door was there unless you just randomly happened to put a bomb down there. This game, Dragon Quest or uh, Dragon Warrior, the the townspeople will actually give you little hints. They'll say stuff like, oh, I, I heard that there's a flute that puts the, the trolls to sleep or whatever. And then if you search around the town, you can find like, oh, in the fountain, there is this flute and it has the effect of putting enemies to sleep. So does the addition of the story component, even if it's very small, does that make it a side quest as we're trying to define side quests? I think it definitely helps with the progression to the generally accepted side quest of today. Like, it does seem like we have a very clear line of, from the five heart containers that are just uh, almost an Easter egg that you can collect, to mm -hmm. in-game giving you clues about these other things that you can be doing that give you powerful items, to literally having a quest giver. What defines a side quest in a modern context? Like, what separates the way that we look at side quests now from the way that it was done in Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior? This is dumb. But in your menu, it'll literally say side quests. <laughs> so, so your answer that's is a, an icon. Yeah, <laughs> it's a different shape. But that's not dumb. I think that I think that that's important for the the definition because I think that that as we like when I first think about like a side quest, in my head, I think of someone with an exclamation mark over their head. I talk to them, and then I get sort of cordoned off into this, like. It's part of the world, but like a separate part of the world where I'm doing typically some kind of menial task, right? Like I, I jokingly yeah. said at the beginning, like helping a shopkeeper kill rats. But that's kind of the first thing that jumps to my head when I'm thinking about side quests. Um, so I, I, think you're, I think that you're talking about a component that is important to our definition of it. 
I'm writing a talk right now, or I've just written a talk that I'm giving next week about kind of the confluence of pro wrestling and video games when it comes to delivering narratives. Wow. Are you are you a wrestling fan? I'm a huge wrestling fan, so is Ari, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've se- wait a second. I I now that you mention it, I've seen the pictures of you two at the <laughs> at wrestling. I, oh yeah, I'm just now remembering. We've that. been to a lot of wrestling, and it's something that I know that I rely on a lot when it comes to building narratives, especially right now in like the past year, and it kind of changed my approach a lot. The way that I would define a side quest, very lightly, is to say that it is the per- the performance of game mechanics in such a way that it will enrich the story and experience of playing that character and performing those mechanics without having any bearing on the narrative progression of the game. That's a mouthful. I like that. I like that. That, fe- that feels it feels pretty concise though. And and I think it it touches on a lot of the the elements that definitely define side quests. So as writers, does the inability to have an impact on the overarching narrative of a game do you ever feel restricted in that capacity when you're writing or do, or is that liberating to to both of you? I'd say like it it is almost liberating because as long as you don't kind of put something in that would throw off the narrative or the character's trajectory through the golden path, you can do whatever you want. There's a lot of wiggle room, especially kind of in the games industry when you're not the only writer. You know, you're you're given different areas or different places where you get to do the side quests. And as a result, you get to create a new character and that's going to be a quest giver. Like you almost have more freedom than if you're doing the main path, because then everything you do is highly scrutinized because it has to make sense. I think the hard part is making it so that the golden path feels malleable enough or feels open enough that it doesn't interfere mm-hmm. with the side quests. I would actually think that's the harder part. Yeah. Because as you know, as you opened with, it's that feeling of if you're doing something hugely important, you're finding your missing child, you're avenging the death of someone that you care about, you're trying to stop the end of the world, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, let me just clear the rats out of this basement. Let me just do this mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. I think that was one of the biggest talking points on the original episode where we, when Steve and I discussed this, was that narrative dissonance when... There's something super urgent that needs to happen, but first, you know, let me take care of all this other stuff. Yeah. And I think that's a a weakness of a lot of game narratives. Um, I think, yeah, I wrote an article about this a while back. Something, I think it was called Small Stories, Big Games or something. I think I I had, I think I've read that article. (laughs) It was something about that. And it was essentially, I think that a lot of the time we're overreaching because we want to bring characters through the main story yes we're so insistent on getting them through that on on making sure that like don't worry like this is big enough and important enough for you to play it but i think that we need to realize that like the experience of being in that world can feel significant enough if we marry the side quests the main quests the world events the character to the narrative yeah because and this comes up a lot in open world games right because they're designed to give you 80 hours of playthrough, but of course, if you play the main quest or the golden path, it's not an 80-hour game, right? What makes it that 80-hour game is exploration and side quests. But in order to have it make sense that you're exploring the world, we have to really rethink our main storyline. 
And what's interesting is the most recent Assassin's Creed game, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, kind of for the first time, your character has no reason. There's no big quest that's given to your character. You are just a mercenary who has every reason and right to float through the world and do little side quests that are given to you. I think that is probably one of the reasons that Odyssey is one of my favorite open world games in a long time. I, I haven't talked a lot about that game on this. Uh, I'm still playing through it, obviously, because it's a huge game, but yeah. I absolutely love that about it. And that's a style of storytelling that I can totally get behind. The define your own character, sort of take take on adventures when you feel like taking on adventures, because f- for those exact reasons, right? Like it, it's not creating that narrative dissonance. Uh, but but now, as, as we're seeing this more and more, I start to worry that this idea of the mercenary becomes the like the go-to for having for sure. your character just be yeah. aloof in this world. Because we saw that in The Witcher as well. Yep. Where that's that's kind of the way that the Witcher got around having I don't know what to call it, like a compulsion to move through the main story. Is it so is golden is golden path a uh, industry term? Is that is that what gets used when you're defining sort of the, the main character arc? Yeah. Huh. I'd never heard that before. Learn something new this time, Jerry. Ooh, we keep learning. So, so now you can officially say I've learned two things on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And it it is interesting, and you're quite right, that we need to not just use the mercenary idea. I loved Fallout 1 and Fallout 2. Fallout 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. And when it was announced that they would be rebooting the series with Fallout 3, I was so excited. And then I played Fallout 3, and I was like, this isn't a Fallout game. Yeah. And Fallout 1, you have a mission, right? You have to. Is that the first one? Yeah. So Fallout 1, um, your vault wasn't given the right number of water chips. So Hmm. everyone needs water chips. Like you need a water chip so that they won't go thirsty. So you leave, you go, you get the water chip, whatever. Fallout 2 is you are a descendant of the person in Fallout 1 who was, you know, left the vault. And basically it's just like, hey, our village could use a little bit of help. You know, maybe you could go out in that world and help us. That's it. You know? And then in that world you realize, oh, there's big things happening here. There's factions fighting. It's through your exploration that you realize that there's something greater going on there. But you didn't start the game with a mission, you know? Whereas Fallout 3... Your dad's missing. Gotta find your dad. Fallout 4, your child's missing. Gotta yeah, find that, your and child. that's the toughest one, I think. And the best modern Fallout game is Fallout New Vegas. It literally starts. You were a courier in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that's it. Yep. What you do after mm-hmm. that is up to you. And I find that uh, we need to... We need more games like that. Because, you know, in role-playing games, I like to play my character. And in Skyrim... I feel bad, but I like mainlined the Golden Path in Skyrim and then kind of got to go back and do all these side quests, whereas like Kim and our other friends were out there having fun the entire time. And I was like, but no, there's a dragon eating souls. (laughs) (laughs) And it's stressful. Like, I want to be able to take my time and and I want to collect those 10 cabbages for you, ma'am. And not feel like Mm -hmm. when you do that, you're missing out on Mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Like you're not you're not doing the right thing in that moment. That's something I liked about this about Spider-Man mm. this year is that it did have little windows sometimes where the, you know Spider-Man just goes like, "Well, better go run some errands or clean up the city or do like yeah. do my rounds." Mm-hmm. 
and you feel like, okay, now I have a little bit of downtime. And that I think is just so important for pacing as well. You know, it's, you can't just be on to the next disaster every second. Like that just gets so exhausting, even when you're not taking into consideration how much sense it makes, you know, narratively being able to do that in Spider-Man and not feel like, well, this is weird. Like, I feel like I should be going to stop, you know, going to stop the the villain and just being able to enjoy a little bit of breath and and doing something different, uh, changing up the gameplay in a way that, you know, it might not necessarily be if you were just mainlining it. I think games have been doing a better job of understanding the that narrative dissonance that's created by a side quest pulling you away from something that's very pressing. But the the interesting thing about side quests is how long we've gone with video games where side quests are just there. Like it's it's a side quest because it's an open world game and you gotta have side quests in it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Every time I've had the discussion about side quests with someone, if it's with Jared or with you know people I work with when we talk about side quests, the first thing that comes up is this discussion that we're having right now about how do, how do they fit into the world. And it felt like we've had video games that have been incorporating side quests when it doesn't make sense for so very, very long. Where it, it seems like such an obvious question, but it wasn't getting addressed until it seems like very recently in the way that narratives are designed in games. Yeah, people just kind of accepted it and it was the norm for a long time. Especially, this isn't really what I would I would consider a side quest these days, but I always think of World of Warcraft and all of the quests that you do there and not yes. much, yeah, none sure. of that really mattered, you know? And they brought that over to single-player narrative-driven games and that was a reason that I didn't enjoy Assassin's Creed for a long time is just the pure amount of icons on the map. And I was like, man, like this mm-hmm. is, it's, it's a little overwhelming, but also like, I just don't want to do it. And I couldn't help myself if I was near something. I was like, oh, I got to go over there now. And then, you know, 40 hours later, I have barely touched the the main plot. Which I think is a real problem, though. Like that's, I think that's something, especially in that era, I think everyone was trying to figure out the way to keep the player in the game the longest, right? Mm -hmm. It's advantageous to you and your shareholders and to the product that you want to create for the money that you want to create for to create an experience is very, very long. And I think that maybe early on in a lot of these games, when you ask the writers, like, can you just add stuff? Can you put a veneer on a fetch quest? Or can you, like, we need the players just to stay in this. Can you add another three hours of this? And then what you end up with is like, even if it's not procedurally generated, it feels procedurally generated where they go like, oh no, someone stole my necklace. Go get it for this. Thank you. Now Mm -hmm. you're going to get some points. And I think that the difference is more that the industry and narratives have evolved to the realization that's like, oh, we can do more with that. Yeah. You know, you know what I think started to cause the the change in the industry? Our side quest episode, our first one. That's true. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I, think, I think people I think people heard and they said, you know what? These guys got it. Ripples in a pond, man. Ripples in a <laughs> it's pond. Time to do something differently. These guys are right. <laughs> They're right, goddammit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they they so, threw out everything for Assassin's Creed, and they were like, "Do it again, but better." As long as they kept the sea shanties in, I'm happy. Yeah, just keep it. Just is that also the episode? Like, yeah, I'd be happy one. if every Five game was. had sea shanties in it. From I know. On. Okay, so this is this is going a little, a little off topic, but and I don't, I don't know if on this any podcast, of you have ex- no. If you, I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but there was one time in Red Dead Redemption 2, and keep in mind, I'm, I'm probably like 40 or 50 hours into it, and I'm still in chapter 3, Ugh, but there was yeah. one time I was riding my horse, and Arthur just started singing, and I yep. have no idea why, I don't know what caused him to start singing, 
but he was just singing. And I was like, this is amazing. Why does he not sing every time I hop on my horse? But it's only (laughs) happened to me once in my like 50 plus hours of gameplay. And it's never happened since. I was about to to tell Ari not to say anything so that you would think you'd imagined it. (laughs) I was was trying to signal to Ari to be like, no, 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 don't say it. (laughs) Let him think that this didn't happen. Steve, you need some help, man. I don't know. Yeah. That doesn't exist. Arthur doesn't sing. Yeah, that's not in the game. (laughs) No. (laughs) I think that's a good example, though, of like, from experience, I could tell you that people are very, very resistant to one-offs. Yeah. When you suggest like, Hey, what if a cool thing happen- happens in this world and then if the player misses it, they miss it? Yeah. Then it's almost impossible to get that through. Yeah. Because yeah. the answer is like, well, no, it's not it's not worth the in- literal investment to do this. But I think there's always a handful of things that you can get away with and that you have the budget for and that you can put in and I think stuff like Arthur singing, yeah, is meaningful because it's not all the time. People want to like 100% games more often now, I feel like. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if it's always been like that or if it's just harder now, but I hear people talking about, yeah, I got platinum on this game. I, I 100% everything. Oh, I hate it. And I've never played games like that. Well, I kind of wanted to play like games like that for a long time and I wasn't good enough because a lot of times yeah. those were really hard to get. But, you know, after I just kind of gave up on that idea, I found I started enjoying open world games more. When I was like, I don't have to interact with this stuff. And, I'm, and I don't choose not to because, you know, I didn't find it engaging. But do you think, here's a question for whoever, open question. Like, do you think that the advent or the proliferation of side quests have created more gamers that want 100% things? Or do side quests exist because gamers want more to do and more things to be able to 100% it? I think it's a little bit of both. I think from a creative perspective, it's it allows us to enrich the world of the game. It allows us to explore those parts of the world that aren't necessarily about you as a as a character yeah. or aren't like about the main story. But I also will acknowledge that like yeah, for sure creating these games that are so massive and that the reward of of feeling like oh, I did something. I did 100% like as someone who, I just did Spider-Man. Like, I just got 100% in that. But that was because I liked the world so much. Yeah, yeah, you wanted to stay in it. But I know that there are people for whom the goal is simply the number. Yeah. And I think that I don't like it because to me it takes a lot of the magic out of the experience of games. When yeah. you can't go to your friend I remember early days of Skyrim, I would be able to meet with friends and go, oh, hey, I found this like weird quest and they hadn't gotten it yet. Yeah. And it was really cool to be able to tell them something that they hadn't experienced yet or to, and to hear something that like, oh, that's just out there in the world. And I think when you put a number on every single quest, like when it tells you, hey, at, in the story right now, you're 20 out of 35 missions, then I can already forecast okay, I'm this far into the game, so I should be this far away from a boss. Yeah. And then when I go like, oh, there's eight side quests to be found, I don't have the excitement of stumbling upon something interesting and, and seeing where the story takes me. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I, I Yeah. It, that, that, it bugs me. You start to see the, you know, the strings, the, the, the puppeteer who's, yeah. you know, you don't want to look too closely about how the sausage is made, so to speak. Well, it, and looks this is... like our, it looks like our side of things. Like, it looks like when we're in the writer's room or something, yeah. right, or in the or doing narrative design, and we have a checklist, literally, of 
is this written yet? Is this done yet? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then we just hand like that work. to the player and go like, have you seen all the stuff we did? <laughs> <laughs> did you did you do this yet? Yeah. Yeah. As I'm as I'm playing Red Dead Redemption 2, I'm I'm certainly getting that feeling. Because Red Dead Redemption 2 seems like a game that has its foot in the last console generation in the way that it approaches side quests. Like there's there's these emergent moments of gameplay where you'll you'll walk up to a character and it'll activate um, maybe not necessarily a side quest, but like a, its own separate interaction with that character. But there's still those, you know, the white question marks in that game where you got to yeah. walk up to someone and talk to them. And it feels antiquated in a way like it, it worked for the first Red Dead Redemption. But as we're progressing into these more like this more emergent style of gameplay, it's starting to feel a little artificial, It's starting to feel a little old. There was a moment early on in the game where I came across a guy who, like, I think he broke his leg. His, his horse fell over on him or something, and he was just there. And he was like, can you take me to a doctor? So you put him on your horse and you take him to a doctor. And, you know, there wasn't a cutscene. All of this was just happening really naturally. And then you bring him in. He's like, oh, yeah, good thing you brought this guy in. And then you could just leave. But I chose to, like, stick around to see what was going to happen. And the doctor just like cuts the guy's leg off or his arm off or something. And I was like, dude, that is so fucking cool. They like, and it, it, I don't like, I have no idea like, if that quest had a name or if that character had a name. It was just something that happened. Uh, and I like that stuff way more than, um, you know, walk up to the question mark, watch the cutscene, and go do the thing. So that I think is the difference between like a world event, yeah. right? And a side quest. Yeah. But even then, like, I, I've had certain world events in Red Dead that are really, really cool. Until I encounter them again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yes. How many? And how many like ladies on the side of the road who need help? Exactly. And, it turns out to and be a trap have... Can you run into? Well, exactly. And so then that's when it starts to feel like, oh no, th- you can tell that they didn't want to do a one-off. Yeah. 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 Well, I, and on that note, I have a question for the two of you. How do you feel about writing content for a game? that may not be experienced by a majority of players? Like, how does it feel knowing that the work that you're putting in is going to be optional when when the player's playing the game, that, that they may not experience it? So one of the things that kind of cracks me up about that and about the work that I did on For Honor was not only did I write the Barks, but I also wrote the single-player campaign. And a couple weeks ago was AGDQ, which is uh, one of my favorite times of the year. Oh, I love I love it. Every time, yeah. every what is that? Every six I'm... months, awesome games done quick. Yep, and uh, so it's just speedruns, right? So I decided to look up: Is anyone speedrunning the single-player campaign in For Honor? And they are. And of course, the only reason that the game can be speedrun is because we made the cutscenes optional, so you can skip the cutscenes. And it cracked me up watching a streamer speedrun for honor because I realized that all the observables that I wrote, all the collectibles that I wrote, and all the cutscenes that I wrote aren't seen by this community. And it I don't know why, but for some reason I was like, oh, that's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice that they can just skip through everything that I did in order to power through this game. And maybe if for honor had been my idea for a game since I was seven. Yeah, and that I was finally made it. Then I probably would have been like, "Hey, idiots! Please watch <laughs> and listen to everything that I wrote." But because it's you know it it's just a, a Ubisoft AAA game, I don't have that same kind of connection to it. 
That being said, I wrote some incredible goofs that I hope people see. But if they don't, it, it I don't know. It doesn't perturb me that much. No, I don't. I, I think that if the game experience is overall, like, holistically good. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you're having fun, cool. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not really precious about, like, oh, you have to read this. You know, sometimes you have the days where you're like, I hope they don't read this. <laughs> I hope that no one hears this bad line that I wrote in a oh, second. And I pray every day. I pray every day. No one <laughs> listens to my podcast. Like, right, please yeah. don't listen. To, please don't listen to how dumb I sound. Please. Oh, yeah, the, the same. Oh, no. If I'm on a podcast, I'm like, I'll never listen to this. I hate it. <laughs> like, I will never hear anything that I say. And when I write something in a game, I think that if it creates a better narrative experience for the player, that's good. But I'm not going to go like, did they see it? Did they like it? Unless, like, the fun part is, is more when someone discovers something that you kind of put in there as a joke, right? Yeah, or definitely. as, like, oh, here's a little, like, tidbit that I included or a little bit of lore that I added. And when people find that, it adds a benefit to them. But I would write a hundred world events if it meant that you only see them once yeah. and that people would have a different experience. I'd rather, like, the entire experience of the game be that people can talk about it and share different stories than the same amount of people reading everything that I wrote. Now, do you feel that that mindset is shared by most writers or do you think that that's a unique mindset? I don't know if it's unique, but I think there's probably two approaches to all video game. I mean, maybe all writing, right? There, yeah. there are some people who are more about the craft of writing itself. Mm -hmm. And then there are more people who are about the narrative experience of it. I think of like Jonathan Blow. I don't know if you've seen yeah. uh, in Indie Game the movie. And there's, um, oh, who who is it that's playing Braid? Jared, you worked with him. Uh, I, I don't did? know if you're, yeah, the 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 rapper that was playing Braid. Um, I don't know. Name, name a rapper that you've worked with. Soldier Boy. Soldier Boy, yeah, thank you. Okay. So Soldier Boy in the documentary is playing Braid, and they cut to Jonathan Blow after like watching that video, and he looks like he wants to cry. Because Soldier Boy like clearly does not understand what that game is about. Oh, <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder how many people are uh, you know like Sol Soldier Boy is like high off his ass, and he's like cracking up that you can turn time back. Like you know he's, he's like, he's, like <laughs> and then like Jonathan Blow just looks like he wants to curl up and die. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious, like you know, are, are there more people like Jonathan Blow or more people who have your mentalities? Well, I think that like the idea for okay. I want to put a pin in this Soldier Boy thing because I'm really curious. To yeah, we have to come back to Soldier Boy, yeah, especially with the current Soldier Boy news. Yeah, okay. one that he created video games. <laughs> um, I think that if you can, ludonarrative dissonance is best dispelled by marrying gameplay with narrative, so that the gameplay actually does express a great deal of the narrative that you're trying to that you're trying to put forward. Mm -hmm. Right. So that you can skip cutscenes or at least minimize the amount of cutscenes you have to watch in order to understand the progression of your character. I mean, there are no cutscene, no real like informational cutscenes in like Dark Souls. Right? There's the one at the beginning and then there's like a boss. Yep. There's like an ent there's an entrance <laughs> theme mm -hmm. essentially for the boss and like they kind of come down the ramp and everything, but that's that's basically it. But there's absolutely a progression and a story and a world and a narrative that you can mm grasp from that so i wouldn't want to well i remember like before i worked in games uh i was watching a co-worker play assassin's creed 2 and i was saying like oh 
this is the part where this thing happens. And he was like, oh, I didn't know. I just, I skip all the cutscenes." And I was so horrified <laughs> that I was like, wait, what? Why are you playing? Like, do you, no, I, I'm not why even are you doing this? And when I hear people like, oh yeah, I skip every cutscene in every game. Like, yeah. I feel personally attacked. Well, because then I'm like, why are you playing this? Because this is a game, like Assassin's Creed, for, for example, is a game about something and about these characters. But then I also realized, like, that's not what it's about for him. Yeah. For him, it's about what he can perform as those characters and, and the mechanics he can use and how he can explore them. So I think as much as possible, it's beneficial to include stuff happening in game without like beyond cutscenes so that you kind of catch those characters in your narrative net. But as far as like the way that people see it, I think there are people who are precious about it, who, who want their words to be explored. But I think that those people largely do create games that are more narratively driven or just more, or the gameplay is itself a story. Yeah. Like if you're going to play, um, you know, there's no one who's going to play like Dream Daddy and go like, no, I didn't read anything. <laughs> <laughs> like I just played all the mini games and that was it. Like no one's out there doing that. So I think that there's, there's definitely room for that attitude and that feeling in those kinds of games. Now, Jared did play Dream Daddy a little bit on stream one time. And there definitely was like, he definitely did uh, start mainlining it to bang one of the dads. Well, you know, I, I wanted to kind of move, <laughs> I, was, I was moving on to another game. I was like, I kind of want to see what's going to happen here. And I, I definitely how, screwed it up. How did you now, choose which daddy, though? I, I, bad boy. Bad yeah, boy daddy. Yeah, oh, okay. So it wasn't, because I was going to say like, my point was going to be like, because you probably had to read about, the, but you're like, no, 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 I knew, <laughs> I knew instantly. Well, the, the payoff was that after he was trying so hard to bang the uh, bad boy daddy, that he goofed the final prompt and uh, uh, I blew my and went home went home alone. Yeah, oh, I, I, I misunderstood it. <laughs> Actually, that's an interesting point because that means that the primary mechanic of that game is conversation. Yeah. Right. And you lost the game because you were bad at playing it. <laughs> because yeah. part because part of being good at playing it is figuring out is figuring out how to converse. So. I think that's a great example of how <laughs> ludonarrative resonance worked out in the game's favor, but also made you go home alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, as writers, how does the assignment of writing optional content, how is it given to you? And, and I'm sure it's probably different game to game or project to project, but I guess just sort of like in a general sense, does, does a uh, director come up to you and say, I need you to write this much side content for me or do they give you like the the shell of a quest and you have to write the narrative on top of it like how how does that happen typically and i kind of want to add to that question too like what is the general attitude from let's say like you know executives or the higher ups about side quests are they like we just need to add another 10 hours to this game like figure it out or are they invested in that um, process there's a couple different ways but i'll let you Ari... i was just gonna say the answer to all those questions is yes all right all of them are correct and obviously the assignment of writing really depends on what scale of game like on last year kim is the only writer so everything falls to kim but generally in a big triple a open world game you have these writing teams and a lot of times it's based on experience and hierarchy so the creative director will make the overall story of the game uh, the narrative director will be there to make sure that 
the story and the quests that the writing crew are currently writing make sense within the context of the creative director's vision. Then the lead writer is the one who dictates like, okay, for the golden path, we want to do this, 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 and this, write it. The kind of more senior writers will be writing on golden path. The more junior writers will be taking side quests and uh, world events. And generally it's the level one new to the business writers who are going to handle menu text and barks. And that tends to be how it goes. I th- yeah, I think as a rule, that's probably it. And I, But I think also right now, or at least what I've noticed on different projects is there's an increasing push because there's that realization that I think stops a lot of AAA studios from having a lot of people actually go up the ranks. Yeah. Because... If you relegate like junior writers to only writing this, then they're not, not going to learn to write the next thing, right? Yeah. So I think what we're starting to see, especially as games get bigger, is we can divvy up the responsibilities in a different way. So it's like maybe you get one or two c- complete character arcs that you're going to manage. Yeah. And then you can do that in addition to a bunch of barks. But to answer kind of your first question, which was like, what is the attitude about side quests, I think? I think that, yeah, increasingly as we try to make worlds rather than just stories i think that there's a greater respect overall for side quests now how has that manifested itself in the professional setting have we have you seen like the the groups of people that are assigned to side quests get larger than the the groups of people who are working on the the golden path narrative well i would say that one uh, two studios that i worked with this summer have world directors in addition to narrative directors in addition to creative directors. It, it's almost as though the side quest world event team are a completely different team. Mm. Because they're writing anything, right? What they write, the quests they write, need to make sense in the world. Whereas the golden path or main quests need to make sense for the character. So yeah. it's mm. two kind of completely different things. And... I think that there's two different approaches that studios or game teams take, and some of them are 100%, we need to pad this game. We need 20 more hours, you know? But conversely, there's also the idea of, I want to build out this universe. I want to build out this world. I want the player to experience more than just what the main path is telling them, you know? Like, Side quests are actually a really good way to expand your story and for your character to learn more about the world than they do just following their main quest. Now, when you're playing games, how, how do you appreciate side quests rewarding you? Do you prefer like the, the narrative payoff from side quests or do you prefer like a, a mechanical payoff, like some kind of item or, or reward from them? Like, What are you looking for when you're engaging with side quests in games? I'm looking for a story. Yeah. For the most part. I was going to say, it kind of depends on the type of game, right? Yeah. Because if I'm playing World of Warcraft, the reward I want is a new item. You know, like, I just yeah. killed these 20 wolves. I did it for a reason. Yeah. Whereas, I think Red Dead Redemption 2 is quite good. One of the world events, right, a guy got bit by a snake. I, uh, <laughs> I helped him out. Luckily, I had medicine, so I didn't have to suck out the venom. I sucked out the venom. Yeah. Gross. What? Um... <laughs> And later I didn't want to waste on, any medicine. <laughs> <laughs> like, later on this. in the world, many hours later, 
I see uh, him talking to a friend and he's like, oh my God, that's the guy. That's the guy who helped me with the snake bite. And he actually, you know, uh, gives you an item. But I literally, to me, the payoff was a character remembering what I did. Yeah. That was Mm. more important to me than the gun that I then got from this. Because it's one of the first and few moments in games where your actions actually came back and meant something to someone. But then how much would it have bothered you if in the main quest someone had said to you, you know, something along the lines of like, you you never help anyone. Yeah, bullshit. Right? I'm always helping people. And that's, I think, the issue. Yeah. Is that I think if you want to have really good side quests, they have to not interfere with any of the attitudes that you encounter about your character in the main path. But I think that when we achieve real victory, it'll be because we start incorporating that information. Yep. Which you, which they kind of do in, to a way, like in a way though, because you do get honor for doing yeah, that. Yeah, because of the karma system. Yeah. And so your experience as Arthur is going to be a little bit better. I'm the total. I'm I'm the total opposite. It, it it's well known to listeners, like people who've been listening to this podcast for a long time, like I am not the person who plays video games for story in the traditional sense. I love the sort of more immersive, more interactive, more like self-motivated, self-driven kind of storytelling that some games can achieve. Yeah. But I'm the kind of person who when I when I get into a side quest, I want to get something out of it, which is another reason that I find myself like even in Red Dead Redemption foregoing a lot of the side quest content in that. To me, the, the stuff that's exciting in Red Dead is the hunt all the legendary animal stuff. There's no side quest. I don't get I don't get cordoned off into like this is the mission you're doing right now, go kill all these animals. It's just something that can kind of be done along the way and and I'm making like I've set my own goal and I'm motivated to complete it because I know what the reward is when it's done. To me, that's the kind of gameplay that I'm interested in and like some of those side quests at the end of it you get like you know, you, you rob a train and you get 50 bucks and I go like, well, what <laughs> Like, yeah, to, why it, am I it, doing it's this? It's weird. Yeah. But, and you would think like the experience of robbing the train would be would be reward enough. And I, I guess it is. But there's something a little hollow about that experience if I don't also get the gameplay payoff from it. I think that that's I don't know part why, of I don't know what why contributes that to your feeling, like the feeling that like Red Dead especially is kind of a relic in a way. Maybe. Right? Yeah, Where it kind of be. feels a little bit like it's doing it the old fashioned not and by old fashioned way I mean like a year ago yeah. <laughs> you know oh, yeah. it's I think it's Red Dead I think came saddled no pun intended with a lot of baggage because we're like this is gonna be revolutionary yeah like yeah. Mm-hmm. it's not this isn't your teen years is Red Dead right like this is a whole new thing but then I think it came out and we're like okay no it's a very good version of what we already know yeah yeah but I would say that yeah um, when you start having to take in economics of the game all the balancing then all of a sudden if you've made a fortune for yourself in the open world and that $50 reward comes in you are going to be frustrated if that's the kind of player you are so balancing is really hard for that stuff well and then this goes to something that you said earlier as well which is that it can't have the side quests can't have a big impact on the the golden path narrative which is the other thing that kind of makes it feel removed like it, it feels like I'm playing a separate game when I'm doing the side quests because there is no payoff in the the greater Arthur story from doing the side quests per se. Well, and sorry, now we're just talking about Red Dead, but um, 
that was one of the things that actually caused me a, a bit of ludonarrative dissonance in Red Dead Redemption 2 was that my Arthur, I was like, okay, camp needs money. I'm going to make money. So I made a fair amount of money, but every quest was like, oh, okay, we don't have enough money. We need enough money. <laughs> yeah. And then we yeah. can finally let, like leave this life behind. And I, I'm like, where's the button for me to give money? It's true. Yeah. You know, That's... like, where, where's the bit where I go, oh, actually, Dutch, don't worry about it. I found <laughs> a bunch of gold bars, and I think we're going to be okay. Yeah, why are you, you know, like, so starving? Like, I, you literally have donated thousands of dollars. What are you yeah, spending? Yeah, that's on? true. I, I've given you a million belt buckles. Why are you hungry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I keep rolling up with these deer. Yeah. What are you doing with them? By the end of the game, like... You have so much money because you've been playing it. Like, if you put 100 hours into that game, right? Yeah. And you spend it mostly just, like, in the open world, hunting, trading pelts. Yeah. You can just have thousands and thousands of dollars and just go, like, yeah. And then I guess the story doesn't make any sense anymore. Because yeah. you're like, I'm I'm personally very rich. <laughs> <laughs> don't know I don't know what you're talking about, you Dutch. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, uh Arthur is going to retire and go to Mexico and just yeah. live out the rest of his days pretty comfortably. Yeah, at the beginning of chapter four, you're like, well, that's it. That's it for me. But I think that as we come up with branching, as we're, we get better at putting branching into these bigger games, I think there's this like thing with branching narrative that people are very scared of because they feel like it has to be all or nothing. Yeah. Like either you have to have completely linear story that's or like that's going to be like on a binary at most like good arthur bad arthur yeah. or you're going to have a game that's completely branching in which case you have like 50 different endings but none of them are satisfying and stuff like yeah. that but i think that more stuff like for example if you were in the open world and you helped a, that guy with the whole thing right and then later in the game someone did accuse you of not helping anyone it would be great if you, if your Arthur or whichever yeah. character you're playing just said, "Hey, <laughs> actually, I did this," and reference something that they had done in the open world. I think instantly the value would be felt. I think, yeah, I I agree with that. And that's one line that costs almost nothing. Yeah, doesn't really change the course of the story, but at least makes you feel like there's something else. Yeah, and maybe that's what's missing from side quests for me is not the the lack of a. Uh, a reward or or anything like that it's maybe it's because it just can't in most cases have that impact that i want it to have on on the way that the the traditional story in the video game is is being told now with, without beating up too much on red dead redemption kim or Ari, are there are there any it. game i and and like i said i'm like 50 hours in i'm still playing it i had a kind of a slow start with that game i didn't i didn't enjoy it as much right up front um but Neither it, did I. They made some on me. very weird choices yeah, I don't, in Red Dead. The thing is, I think that it's... Like, I think Red Dead's pretty good. It's not a perfect game by any means. But I think the problem with specifically Red Dead is that people expect it to be perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People, and then you have the people who insist that it is perfect. Yes. And I think yeah. it's okay that it's not the best game that's ever come out, but that it's a very competent game that has problems, but also has, like, huge triumphs. And that we can look at it as a piece of content that we can learn from, we can build on, and we can criticize or praise without having to feel like everyone's going to attack us for pointing out that like the Emperor 
does have clothes, but they're not as shiny as we thought they were going to be. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I think if the game wasn't called Red Dead and it wasn't made by Rockstar, people would go like, oh my god, this game is is amazing. Like, there's, yeah. there's no denying that it's a triumph of game making. It's just, it is all that other baggage, for sure. We had Matt Burnside on our last episode, and he was accusing me of not liking the game, even though all I had said was, I don't think it's the best game of this console generation. But and he and he took that to mean like I hated the game. Well, <laughs> that's but that's the big problem with it. It is, and I think that it, we should be allowed to point out the flaws in a game while still going. Yeah, I put a hundred hours into it and I finished yeah. it, and it was good. Yeah, you and, know. And if it's perfect, then we shouldn't be playing anything else anymore. Yeah, you know, I think that it doesn't have to be like I, there are games that I absolutely enjoyed more this year. Yeah, like I enjoyed God of War more than I enjoyed Red Dead. I probably. In a minute-to-minute thing, you can say, oh, I played, I don't know, Donut County and had a better time than I did playing Red Dead. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to yeah. come after you. Like, yeah. I'm not going to go like, you're an idiot. How dare you enjoy something differently? <laughs> That's why I feel bad me. for websites and, and journalists who still have to review games on a point system because, man, you see, like, you know, yeah. I, I give Donut County a nine and they give Red Dead Redemption an eight and everyone's like, oh, my God, like, how is that does make any sense? And <laughs> yeah. And like, it's like, well, yeah, I enjoyed my experience with that more. And something can be very, very small and perfectly made, right? And something can be very, very big and imperfectly made. And those scores should be different. Yeah. And I would say that, like, it's okay to say, like, yeah, I had a good time with it, but it has also some problems. <laughs> I want to know what games you have been playing that you think nail the approach to side quests. Like, what, what game does side quests better than any other game you've ever played? Man, that's a tough one. Because they're so ubiquitous now that you just kind of expect them. Let's do it. Let's say Red Dead 1. <laughs> <laughs> let's really go for it <laughs> yeah let's get everyone up in arms yeah we won't uh, we we normally read our email at the end of the, each episode but we won't be doing that for this one for some reason <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think and it's difficult but the one that i keep thinking of is uh elder scrolls oblivion and uh, i'm a big oblivion fan and when Skyrim came out, I was so excited. And the big difference between Oblivion and Skyrim, and I will go on record as saying that Oblivion is the better game. I agree. Is that in Oblivion, you are in the wrong place at the wrong time. You are not the chosen one. You can choose to help these people, or you can just live your life. And Skyrim, of course, starts with, you are the chosen one. You are one of a generation long past. You are the only one who can save the world. And as a result, it's more fun to play Oblivion because you're just experiencing a world and there's something going on around you that you can help with or you don't. And you don't feel like you're supposed to do one or the other. Like, you can just kind of play. Whereas, like I was saying, Skyrim would make me super anxious because I felt like I had to save the world before I could enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of games have a really hard time with that. I mean, Witcher does it well, and Assassin's Creed Odyssey do it well, and it's literally because you don't have to save the world. Yeah. Yeah. You can just be. You know what did it really well? Is it Spider-Man? No, it's God of War. Oh, okay. I think God of War (laughs) did it brilliantly, because a lot of the quests don't feel like side quests that you do. Yeah. They don't interfere 
with the main story, but they do add to it. They do enrich a lot of the stuff and like inform yeah. a lot of the things that you can know. Um, there are a couple times I know that like Mimir will reference stuff that you've done yep. in the world. So it does feel cohesive. And I would say that like, as far as side quests that don't feel like side quests, they just feel like organic parts of the world. God of War is big on that. The only problem was the balancing, which yeah. is that a lot of the stuff that you find optionally is worse than the stuff that you'll find in mm. the campaign. Yes. It, literally items. The the items weren't balanced well. Yeah. The side quests are fantastic because sometimes I didn't realize I was doing a side quest. Yeah, and again, what the game is telling you is your son or Mamir is saying, hey, I think we should do this. And you're like, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, maybe we should go do that. And yeah, the, the point of God of War 4 is to bring your wife's ashes to it, their final resting place. You know, like, you can take time and hang out with your son, and that doesn't break the narrative. Yeah, the... Yeah, it was, it was more about, like, thing. him growing his relationship with his son more than let's get yep. these ashes up here and that's our ultimate goal. And it always felt good when you did that. And it wasn't afraid also, I think, to take away certain things. Like, you can't just go ahead and, and leave the quest in moments where it's supposed to be perilous. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is good. Like, I think that games should be more comfortable in general with going, hey, right now, there's something pressing happening. You can't do side quests for, like, yeah. the next 30 minutes. Hmm. Yeah, I wish... I wish Red Dead did that better. Not not to to rag yeah. on Red Dead Two again, but there are those times <laughs> Here we go where again. I'm like, yeah. well, no, it's like you, it's like oh, let's let's ride our horses to this faraway place, and I want to stop and hunt an animal real quick, or and then it will just straight up be like failed. You didn't you didn't keep up or something. I'm like really like you're gonna you're just gonna straight up fail me out of the mission for this. Yeah, uh, and and that that really sucked. I didn't like the way that they handled that. Yeah, I think that at that point they should be able to say like hey, not right now. And like, maybe you can kill an animal, but you can't go off and go like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. I'm going to do something completely different, but at least say right now we have to do this and then yeah. don't make it available to you. Yeah. Or they should just not have any three star animals spawn when you're on missions. <laughs> I would not stop and hunt an animal if it wasn't three stars. So yeah. if they just didn't make the three star animals spawn when I was on missions, I wouldn't want to hunt them. I'm just saying. <laughs> I was so stressed out by the star system. Cause like that some animals just are much like my plants. Just ugly. Just like, <laughs> this one is not, like, sorry, this one was born bad. Like, it's the, in the wild, it's all raggedy, <laughs> don't get it. You are the Steve's pepper plant of possums. Get <laughs> yes, out of here. <laughs> exactly. You're huge, you're the crossbreed of a bunch of different possums, and you're super bland. <laughs> all right, well... Let, let's uh, let's let's bring our conversation about side quests to a close, and I, I typically like to ask this at the end, but Kim, in your mind, how can side quests be improved moving forward? Like, how can developers make side quests better or, or more engaging for the player uh, in the future? I would say that they have to... I mean, okay, I'm going to give a really biased answer as someone who works in narrative. No, that's, I what think, I, that's why we've got you yeah, on here, Kim. That's fair. I think that... Um, they should in some way enrich the narrative. I think that the way that I would improve them is to say that you learn something deeper about the story that you're being told, you express something different about the character, and when you come back into the main story, if there's ever an opportunity to have some kind of 
reference to the things that you're doing in the side quests, that would be great. Um, if side quests can inform the way that you interact with the characters in the main story. And even things um, as simple as, you know, when you do a side quest and you can decorate your new settlement with something that you got from that, mm-hmm. it creates that sense of novelty. Like, oh yeah, I remember this. This is part of my story as a player and as a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I agree. Think, yeah, basically just like respect side quests more and, and don't just have them exist on the sidelines. Like merely add some value to them in, in terms of both gameplay and narrative. Yeah, I think I think consequences are are a big part of that. Like the the thing that for me makes games different than any other medium is obviously that I as the player have some input in in how the story is going or how the my character approaches things. So being able to see that reflected um in a permanent way by side quests I think is a good direction to to take our approach to side quests for sure. Exactly. Now Eric, Ari, how about you? How do you think that side quests can be improved? I think that, I mean, obviously I agree with everything that Kim was saying. And for me, we need to get rid of fetch quests. Thank I think you. That, <laughs> yeah, I think that if we are given a side quest, it has to be meaningful. You know, I, I don't mind the, the Elder Scrolls side quest styles of, I lost an item, it meant something to me, can you go get that? I'm like, okay. If you're telling me why this is important, if this will bring you joy, if this will in some way impact the relationship that I as a character have on you or on this city, then that's important. But if I get a quest, okay, let's rag on a different game for a hot sec. (laughs) Fallout 4. There was constant generated, like procedurally generated quests for the settlement system if you Mm -hmm. were a Minuteman. And the game required you to be a Minuteman. And every five seconds, you know, like every whatever, you get a thing going, oh, the settlement from here was attacked by super mutants and they want you to go there. Oh, this settlement has something for you. And when you first start it, you're like, neat. But then you realize that they repeat to infinity. I thought my game was broken when that happened to me until I saw other people talking about it. I was like, really? That's, that's the way they actually made this, intended this to work? I think if those were optional, though, and we're just about, if they were a form of grinding, yeah, I think that would be okay if you go like, I'm going to the Lost and Found building because I want to help someone find their stuff for money. Yeah. Then it feels okay. But yeah, when it's that little sneaky like, hey, this is procedurally generated. Yeah. We, I'm going to make you do this again and again, even though you are the general of the Minutemen, <laughs> even though you own every settlement, like, bullshit I have to go find your missing daughter it is insubordination as well for them to ask you to do it that it is you yeah. do it idiot Preston go do your own dumb thing stop bugging me I be, have bigger fish to fry that should be the gain when you become a general that you get an option that says how about you do it here's yeah. ten bucks <laughs> triangle I'm now delegating yeah here's ten bucks you do it yeah Delegation. so yeah I guess that the, the thing that I would say is Make sure that the side quests are meaningful. They're there for a reason, and they're there to either make the character more important, to give the character items that they couldn't otherwise get. You know, like, give it a reason to exist mm-hmm. and not just um, to bulk up gameplay hours. I like I like side quests when they just make you do really wild stuff. Like, when it when it is such a departure from the main game that yeah. it, it, it sometimes even kind of becomes its own thing. I think that stuff's really cool too when you get to experience your character 
in a totally new situation that that doesn't make sense for the main storyline. But clearly, <laughs> like Skyrim and Shiogorath. I was gonna say you can become a werewolf. That's true. Like that can oh, be yeah. part of your character. Mm-hmm. Like you're also like also you're a werewolf. You're the Dovahkiin <laughs> and a werewolf and a thief. Yeah. In the, in the Assassin's Guild, yeah, and that's I don't perfect. Know. That's, that's perfect. That stuff. Yeah. that stuff is super cool because it is totally optional that you become a werewolf in Skyrim. There's nothing, you know, you don't have to do that for yep. the main line, but it becomes a part of your your character. It becomes a part of the role playing that you do in that world, and 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 I think that that kind of game design can be super cool. Totally on board with that. All right, did we get to everything about side quests we wanted to cover? Any last minute things we wanted to sneak in before we bring this episode to a close? I. Uh, I think we've uh, ragged on enough games. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Red Dead 2. <laughs> but, like, again, it's a very good game. It's I know, just, it is. It, it was broken under the weight of expectation. Like, it's mm-hmm. the it's it's open for criticism because so many people are saying that it is beyond it. Yeah. All right, well, if you, the listener, have any questions or comments about side quests or any of our previous topics... Send us an email at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Please let us let us know your thoughts. I'm sure people have some strong thoughts about side quests. We'd love to hear them and read them on the show. And that's going to do it for this episode. Before we get out of here, I have to thank our guests, Kim Belair and Ari McGillivray. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us again. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you were both able to come back and join us for this discussion. Oh. Anytime. Any excuse to talk. <laughs> That's the spirit. Well, I meant to. I, so I meant to ask you at the beginning, and it, it completely slipped my mind. Any any plans to bring a uh, sexiest podcast back? Yes. Good. All gonna, right. I was perfect. Say, yeah, yeah. We should. We need to. We need to get back on that. It's. It's been such a wild year of doing like our own business and working on a ton of different things, and mm-hmm. it kind of fell by the wayside. But yeah, well, we want to do more. Sexiest also the terrible- animals in Red Dead Two. Ooh, Ooh, sexiest legendaries. There you See, go. See, one of the last one of the last episodes they did, Jared, was sexiest non-human animals. The moose in oh. that is good though. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say that the the secret uh, shame about the sexiest podcast is that it was always recorded in the soundproof rooms at Ubisoft on mm-hmm. Ubisoft recorders. <laughs> so when we quit Ubisoft, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I have to buy my own equipment? Ugh. <laughs> where can people keep up with you? Where, 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 can they, uh, where can they follow your work? And I guess, Kim, I'll start with you. Um, I'm at Bagel of Death on everything. So anywhere that Bagel of Death exists, it's probably me, except for like these weird Emma Watson fan forums where some guy... Is Bagel of Death. <laughs> and, <laughs> so I didn't lock it down well enough across the board. Like there's some areas where I'm like shocked to find that I'm not the one, but on the ones that matter on <laughs> Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff, that's where I'm at. Um, and you can find us at uh, sweetbabyinc.com or sweetba.by and learn a little bit more about what we're up to. Very nice. Ari, how about you? Where can people follow you? Best place to follow me is on Twitter, at mcgillivray514. And, of course, give give us your likes and subscriptions to uh, my YouTube show, Ball Review. Oh, yes. I also meant to bring up Ball Review at the beginning. I'm a bad host. I I put it in the notes (laughs) and I skipped right over it. That's okay. I'm also bad. Kim had to type ball review on her laptop and poke me. <laughs> it's because I knew that after this 
call, Ari would be angry at herself if she didn't bring up a ball, 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 ball review. Yeah. What is the best ball? Well, the best you have ball to, that you have to watch to find out, Jared. I guess yeah. that's true. No spoilers then. I can't choose a favorite. <laughs> there job. are no scores in ball review, so that's the hardest part. <laughs> no, but we've reviewed some good balls. Yeah. Um, yeah, there have the, been. My the favorite was the New Year's Eve ball is pretty good. I like the oh, the, yeah, yeah. the hockey ball. <laughs> which, oh, is not, which, which is not really a ball, but oh, I call the ball. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you'd say that because it rolls. It's on ball review. Okay, true. All right, I retract yeah. my previous statement. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, and then I, I'll also say people should definitely uh, go check out last year the nightmare. Uh, people should check out uh, yeah. Neocab and check out Unknown Nine. Awesome! Thank you again for having us. And thank you so much. No, yeah. Basically, thank- whenever you need someone, okay. just tag us in. <laughs> we will make you regret saying that. <laughs> Do you guys well, just want to host this podcast? I know. Honestly, oh yeah, that's that's easier than starting than restarting our own podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take this one. Yes. <laughs> It'd be much better. Hi, and welcome to Game Breaking Feature. I'm your host Ari with Kim Belair. Hello. Sounds better already. It already does. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, Kim, Ari, thank you again so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. As a reminder, we release new episodes every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and you want to help us out, head over to iTunes, give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast, This Is Rad, on iTunes. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Stephen underscore the gamer on Twitter. Find me at Jared Bruner on Twitter. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about Moose. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. Also, right, water bye. your plants. Oh, yeah, water your plants. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>